0: Welcome to another Nick Hawks podcast. Well, let's talk about willful atheism. <laughs> I used to think that the Apostle Paul was being a bit unreasonable when he said that there was no excuse for not believing in God because <clears throat> the evidence of God was clearly seen in creation. He wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now, however, I am not so sure that Paul was being extreme. In his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, the Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias makes the point that the problem posed by many atheists is not the absence of evidence, but the suppression of evidence. In other words, while many atheists trot off intellectual excuses for not believing in God, what they are actually doing is refusing to have an honest look at the evidence that does exist. In other words, they're doing exactly what the Apostle Paul accuses them of in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. They are suppressing the truth. They are suppressing evidence. Now what makes this particularly odious is that they are doing this while claiming to stand on the intellectually high ground of reason and rationality. Well, I respectfully want to suggest to such people that they need to come at me with something more substantial than a claim that the universe came from nothing as a result of nothing via a mechanism which science has no proof of. Well, despite lack of scientific evidence, some have tried to make this very claim The American scientist Lawrence Krauss, a strident atheist, wrote a book called A Universe from Nothing. (laughs) It is a philosophically absurd book in which he speculates that it is possible for everything to come from nothing as a result of nothing, provided some parameters, such as quantum fields and the physical laws which govern them, are already in existence that would allow it. (laughs) Yes, I'm afraid his thesis really is as logically flawed as that sounds. The inherent hubris of humankind means that many simply don't want God to exist. This is presumably because any God would present a challenge to their autonomy. They don't want to make God the Lord of their lives, as it would be, well, inconvenient to their lifestyle. I must also hasten to say that many morally good atheists do exist, and some of them have legitimate intellectual problems with Christianity, suffering being one of them. However... If you bring to an intellectual debate about God a mindset of not actually wanting there to be a God, then you will not come with an honest mind of inquiry. You will come to the debate with a self-blinding bias. What surprises me, actually, is the passion people can display who want to believe there is no God. It's just as well to be aware of it because... You can be attacked by raw emotion and ridicule rather than reason if you challenge their thinking. So do have the wisdom to know when to speak and when to keep silent. The philosopher and mathematician Bertrand Russell, an atheist, was once asked what he would say to God if he had to explain why he didn't believe in him. Russell replied, not enough evidence, not enough evidence. And this raises the interesting question of what evidence is enough? Well Russell scorned the idea of Christianity and used a spectacularly unfair analogy to ridicule the idea of God's existence. He said that since we can't prove that there isn't a tiny teapot a teapot that's too small to see, circling the sun, then we have to allow that such a teapot could be circling the sun. Russell said that this was the sort of reasoning Christians displayed when they insist that we have to allow for the possibility of God because it can't be disproved. Well, what can we say? Bertrand Russell may have been a polymath of towering intellect, but this did not prevent him from putting forward an argument that is both crass and intellectually flawed. Uh, to state the blindingly obvious, a teapot is a man-made object built for brewing and pouring tea, and by its very definition, and by its origin, and by its function, it is not an object in space. However, a universe that's riddled with codes order and mind-bogglingly unlikely occurrences is quite another thing. If we look for a reasonable explanation, we can only use the patterns we have already found to work. And the only thing we know that is capable of producing such an absurd level of order is intelligence, i.e. God. As such, the Christian argument for God's existence is both rational and scientifically reasonable. Not everyone, however, is interested in looking for truth. (laughs) Have you noticed that? (laughs) I once heard the phrase, and you may have heard it too, if life has no purpose, why bother working it out? It seems to be a sentiment that reflects the philosophy of many in society, which is odd because it is an illogical, circular argument, isn't it? I mean, if you don't at least try to work out what the meaning of life is, you will, rather unsurprisingly, come to the conclusion that life has no purpose. Well, This actually doesn't bother many people, for it results in a highly desirable outcome, the freedom to do what they like. Unfortunately, it also carries with it an attendant outcome that is highly toxic to human well-being. They consign themselves to meaninglessness. Well, history has shown that being able to do what you like and having no meaning is a dreadful cocktail of convictions that when combined have resulted in the worst human abuses seen in history, Auschwitz being one of them. It is also a mournful expression of hopelessness that can find little expression outside of suicide. And I would spare you that. So please don't stick your head in the sand and surround yourself with ignorance when it comes to God, So, what evidence exists that suggests the Christian God is true? Well, I think there is both general evidence for Christianity and specific evidence that relates to Jesus. When it comes to general evidence, we can say that Christianity is reasonable because it is first, scientifically rational. Secondly, it is morally unsurpassable when authentic. That's to say when it's based on the teaching and lifestyle of Christ. Thirdly, it is grounded in historical fact. Jesus came in history. He's not just a a philosophic concept. He came in history as can be verified by non-Christian historians who wrote about him at the time, people like Tacitus and Josephus. And fourthly, Christianity has a reputation, like no other religion or philosophy, of being able to transform individuals, families, cities and nations for their good. Authentic Christianity has an unspossible reputation for doing just that. When it comes to specific evidence relating to Jesus, what can we say? Well, he claimed to be able to forgive sins, Mark chapter 2. He claimed that he would judge the world, Matthew chapter 25. He Claimed to raise people up to everlasting life, John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. He claimed that to have seen him is to have seen God, John chapter 14. And even his enemies understood that he was claiming to be God, and you can read about that in John chapter 10 and John chapter 19. Jesus claimed to have always existed. John chapter 8, and he accepted worship as God, John chapter 9 and John chapter 20. His morality was faultless, and he was, quite simply, without sin, as is said in 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible makes it clear that he fulfilled prophecy, written about him hundreds of years before he came. And finally, the evidence that Jesus overcame death is both unique and compelling. No other person in history has made such claims or done such extraordinary things. And no one else in history has displayed such authority and backed it up with miracles of healing. And quite frankly, it's not difficult to see rational or moral flaws in other religions. But you simply don't see either in the authentic Christianity of Jesus Christ. The many religions that exist represent humankind's sincere attempt to reach God. Christianity, however, is unique in that it is the story of God reaching out to us. He came to us as Jesus to pay the price for our sins that would otherwise disbar us from sharing eternity with him. So don't miss out on it. (laughs) Well, perhaps a prayer of repentance is appropriate right now, a prayer in which you also tell God that you accept his love and that you want him to be the Lord of your life. So I'll tiptoe away and leave you to it.